Well, so there's a lot of speculation that you might be coming to Donegal, but it uh, took us a little bit by surprise when we found out you were on a Volkswagen. Yeah, we'd hoped to come with a four-wheel drive car and try and go for an outright win, but the money wasn't there. Uh, I got the chance to do some testing with the Volkswagen team and managed to convince them it was a good idea to come to Donegal. It's, uh, it's a good event. Uh, what do you think of it? Yeah, excellent. I mean, the atmosphere, you just need to look about. There's, uh, there's not many events in the UK that can compete with it. The British rally champion is on his third visit to the hills, but the Volkswagen is completely new to him, so Alistair uses the early stages to acclimatise to the car's rather unusual sequential gear change. Hey, welcome back to Rally DNA. We're joining us this week. Uh, a man who needs probably very little introduction to our audience is Alistair McRae, uh, joining us all the way from Perth in Western Australia. So despite the time difference, has given up the time to talk to us. Thanks for coming on, Alistair. No, no problem. Pleasure. Thanks, Alistair. Um, would you would you sort of mind sort of telling us a little bit just about the origins of your career? Just because I mean, it, you you must have been at an age coming of age rallying wise when your dad was was conquering the world in, in the in the Manta era, and that must have left an indelible impression, if nothing else. Yeah, no, I mean, I, that's obviously from from my point of view, watching my dad in the. Well, I think I I remember as early on as the SMT Chevette and then the DTV Chevette onto the Ascona, then the Manta. So. Mm-hmm. And as you say, the, the Manta would be uh, probably early 80s, 82, something like that. Uh, so, you know, any time, the one thing that always sticks in my mind, you, you would watch it on Grandstand TV, uh, but then the Scottish Rally, uh, it was always an event. It would always be a test prior to the Scottish. So it was convincing. It was no problem to convince my dad, but convincing my mum that I could have time off school <laughs> to go along to the test. So it was, uh, you know, really fun memories. And then, Obviously, spectating when uh, you've got in the likes of the Scottish, when you've got Blomquist, Vatnan, Hannah Mickler, my dad, Brooks, all these guys out. Uh, it was a, it was a great time as a, a kid to be able to go and watch that. I remember um, from from reading your your brother's autobiography that your your mum wasn't particularly keen on either of you uh, biking, or at least was was concerned. Was was rallying, you know, the, the lesser of two evils as far as she was concerned. <laughs> Yeah, I think probably it was. I mean, she's she still doesn't. I still ride bikes now, and she still doesn't like it. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, for sure, I think that she was. Her worry was always that bikes. When you, when you fall off a bike, then there's no real protection. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, in a car, she's been used to my dad rallying. She did know my dad when he did. Well, it wasn't motocross; it was scrambles back then. Mm-hmm. And she didn't like that either. So I think just the fact that. You know, the, the, the safety side in a car is a bit more comprehensive than it is in a bike. It's easier to sell the roll cage to, to your mother, definitely, than the, I know, to definitely the motorcycle. sell the roll cage for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of, uh, you know, actually sort of taking the first steps yourself, um, was, was there ever a discussion with, with your family about that being what you wanted to do? Was it more of an evolutionary thing? No, I think it just the more just kind of happened. I was, I was more in probably even late kind of before I got to driving age. I was more into motocross mm-hmm. uh, than cars, and I continued even after I got my license. I continued on and motocross. I think it was I may have been seventeen and a half, and I uh, I did my knee and had to get an operation for the second time. And at that point, I'd I'd started working. I was working doing my apprenticeship at the steel local steelworks. So. It was a case of, well, maybe, you know, not getting to work for six weeks because you've done your knee in yet again wasn't the best thing. <laughs> and I think it was it was probably that was the catalyst for me to then look at rallying. Uh, and it wasn't, I think I would have always gone to rallying, but I, I really enjoyed bikes at the time. And, you know, Colin was already in rallying and I was quite happy to stay in bikes. Uh, but then with that knee operation, it was right, let's give the rallying a go. And, and uh, I think the first event I did, it was... Uh, my dad was, I think he was over at the Ulster Rally and there was a single venue event in Scotland. So the only car that was the only car that was available at home because Colin was off. I think he might have been out in the, I don't know what the hell car he would be away in at the time. But it was basically, there was a, a Nissan 240 RS that my dad had in the garage. So I convinced him that I could use that. <laughs> but the, the, the only thing that I, my, my uncle did a bit of rallying back then and he said, look, I'll... Double enter, it's a single venue. Well, double enter, I'll co drive for Alan, make sure he stays under control. Well, the first stage of the rally, I was co driving for my uncle, and he rolled it. 
Literally, just that, as it happened, I was kind of climbing out the car, and my dad had come straight from whatever rally was at Ulster, and arrived back in the arrived at the single venue event to be told that the the Nissan was upside down, so he was coming he was coming through the pits ready to give me a bollock, and when I said it wasn't me, <laughs> it was Uncle Chug. So, and then so we basically just went round the round the the, the pits and said, look, is there anybody? Was anybody willing to let Al drive a car? So, uh, a local car club guy, Jody Brakey, said, "I can, he can double into me with a Mark II Escort." So, so that was my first. That was my first event. Was a I went from a 240 RS that I never got to drive to a Mark II Escort that I drove for the first time. <laughs> a 240 RS would have been a quite a potent debut in a rally I know, car. I, think, I yeah. think it was probably a bit of a handful. Yeah, as your <laughs> uncle proved. <laughs> so, yeah, and presumably from then on, it was it was directly to the the Nova route. Yeah, we did. I did that, and then I uh, actually used Colm's car on. It was the Proflex stages, I think it was called back then. Uh, I used Colm Codro for me. I used his car. Uh, we did that event, and then basically. The, the recce car that Colin was using at the time was just a standard Nova with a roll cage in it. So I did a deal to buy that off him and uh, we did a bit more work to that and got it ready. And then I started, it was nine, when would that be? 87, I think. It's 87, mm-hmm. I did 87, 88. I did a few rallies mm-hmm. the Scottish Championship. Then it started properly in, uh, in 88 with the, the Scottish Championship in the Nova. You had some uh, strong results in that car as well. I mean, I, if nothing else, the was it the 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 ninety one Scottish when all three of you were in the top ten together. Yeah, that was the, that would have been that was the sixteen hundred the GTI. So they, I did my first two years in the thirteen hundred Nova, mm-hmm. oh, the SR. and then then they did the GSI Challenge, which was the sixteen hundred GSI. So that that was be my third year rallying, uh, <laughs> and when that. I think after the first day, I was I was real close to the two, the two works Peugeots, which was it was Paul Franklin and Kevin Ferber, I think, in the nineteen hundred Peugeot, the works cars, mm-hmm. and I was in uh, the sixteen hundred. And I think from memory, we were you know we were within you know ten seconds of them at the end of the first day, which was was really good. And I think kind of eighth overall, uh, and continued on. We couldn't quite get on top of the Peugeots, but you know we we, we stuck fairly. Strongly with them and, and finished the top ten. Um, sort of moving ahead to the the Shell scholarship. I mean, that's that's almost it, that must have been one heck of an opportunity even back then in terms of you know when when sponsorship money seemed to be a little bit not easier to come by compared to today. I mean, what was it like? <laughs> yeah, I mean that that bro, that was the the one thing that that was the first kind of leapfrog in my career. Uh, we'd done three years with the Nova, um, and that was all kind of self-funded. With you know, so there were some sponsors there, but it was basically it was self-funded, and Vauxhall did a very good bonus scheme. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so you if you, you won your class, there was money. If you won Group A, there was money. If you if you had a good result overall, there was money. So they actually, if you, as long as you kept winning with the the the, uh, the Nova, then mm-hmm. you know the, the budget wasn't too hard to find mm-hmm. but to go to the next level to go to Group N was going to be or to the British Championship was going to be really expensive and that's when the, you know Shell announced the scholarship uh, so to to go to that and the, you know the, the six drivers that were there that were there were all top drivers so to come out and top and, and get the British Championship and you know you, you can tone the water with other events testing it was a it was a semi watched drive, so to get that at that time was was a, was a massive step forward, and it allowed me to then progress on to to better things. Yeah, I mean the support from Shell, like obviously for an aspiring driver at the time, did you get a lot of like work outside of events as well from like a, to focus on the career and preparation? Was there much? Was it just a budget thing, or did there was there more help provided? Other than that, yeah, no, I mean there was definitely there was obviously the, the budget was a big thing, or the, the fact mm-hmm. that you. You know, you, the car was there to rally. You just arrived and drove the car. 
Okay. But it, it did, yeah, it did. We did do, you know, we did go testing. It was the first time you actually, for me, you went testing and you changed settings in the car. You know, you tried different springs, you tried different dampers. So the learning process of, you know, what you had to do later on in life in rallying, that, that, was, the, that was the start of that. Uh, we went to uh, Norway to John Hogland's ice driving school. Uh, so they did that at the start of the year. And then, you know, we would always do a, a, a we did a, a smaller event before the first BR, the, you know, the first BRC round. We did the, it was the, the Lakeland stages and won that. Then we would, we went to Donegal or whatever before tarmac events. So it was, it was the first chance to, to basically do it properly and actually, you know, see what it's, see what it's like not doing out of your garage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and arriving in the transit van the, the night before the rally, completely knackered because you'd been working the carol night. So yeah. uh, from that point of view, it was good. And they sent you on. We did a uh, kind of PR day and training with PR stuff. So it, it wasn't just about the, the driving. Very good. Very good, but definitely a good platform to, to move further up. Then. And you in 93, then you also drove the, the Legacy. Um, yeah. And you did a number of... Um, you did Network Q and a number of international events as well. Ypres. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, we did. We, we started off that year. We actually did. We still did one more event with Shell. We went to uh, Sweden with, <laughs> with the, the Sierra. Uh, unfortunately, it was a, a suspension, a bottom ball joint broke on it quite early on, so we didn't get the experience there. Then, obviously, the, the season with the Legacy was the first time in a, you know, a Group A car, and there was a big difference between the group N to group A. Um, that year, I was I was probably, when I look back on that, I was disappointed with it because we didn't get the results that I thought we could have through my fault uh, or, and not being, I guess, you know, making the odd mistake which dropped you out of the fight. Uh, so it wasn't, it was a good learning year, but it wasn't the year we wanted for results. Uh, but at that point, it was just getting mileage and, and, uh, and getting in, you know, a, a competitive car. How big a transition was it to go from a Group N Sierra to a, a Group A kind of full-blown spitting fire Group A legacy? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a big difference, massive difference. Back then, the Group N cars were, they were production-based. You know, you still had the, the kind of standard gearbox in it, so it, it, it did 150 mile an hour, which was no good in the forest. So the gear ratios went right. It was, it was a, it was what I would class as a production car. You know, you look at Group N as it progressed and you started to have the dog box and the close ratio box, proper brakes on it. Back then, you didn't have that. So you went from a what was a road car, uh, modified for the rally to full Group A, where you had the dog box, you had diffs, you had hydraulic pressure on the diffs, proper brakes. It was a, it was a massive difference. You also did um, some sort of further afield stuff in, in 93, if I remember right, correctly. The, so the Quarter Inglaise in the Sapphire Cosi, Ipa, and then Escort Cosi, and uh, Rally Indonesia, also in an Escort Cosworth. Yeah, no, we did. I'm glad you reminded me of that. I did say <laughs> earlier that. I did say earlier I'm getting old and I forget things. It all, it all just blends into one now. Uh, no, we were all, we, we always tried to do, you always try to do as many events as you can. So, you know, the lights are going to Ypres. I think that was a, it was a, I can't remember who, whose car it was we drove there, but I had done Ypres the year before with the, uh, the in the GSI Challenge. So the mm. organisers back then were always quite keen to get foreign drivers in and, they, you know, they would do a deal on accommodation, ferries and try and bring some, some local sponsors in. So it gave you the opportunity to do the likes of, you know, Belgium or Grand Canarias with, with the Jeff Jewett. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the Group N car and then Indonesia we took uh, I think that year we took two Group N escort cars out for my dad and I um, so all these events was just it was basically deals that you know mainly down to my dad with his contacts who he knew you know, and try and get as much experience as he can mm-hmm. and at this point then the, the Nissan Motorsport Europe people must have been looming on the horizon how did that come about and that, was that really set, set you on for the next step of the career as yeah. such I mean obviously that the following year it went to, to Formula 2 which at the time I think everybody was everybody was a bit unsure and you know whether the car was going to be spectacular or you know were they going to be quick enough and even as a driver you know you've just driven 
the the legacy of the Group A car for the year, which has been running the World Championship, and then you know you're going to you think you're going to take a step back to two wheel drive and front wheel drive, but the the British Championship at that point came alive. You know they had plenty of manufacturers involved. There was there was worse drivers uh, in every team, uh, and it was just a great opportunity. I got approached by Dave Whitaker in '93. You know. Would you be interested in coming doing it? Uh, and at that time, um, Greg Ward de Mervis was doing a bit. He'd, I think he did the RAC that the year, be- the previous year, mm-hmm. uh, in the car, and got the chance to go and test it, and decided that you know you always want to try and. For me, at that point, was, you'd, you'd love to go in and do some WRC stuff, uh, but that wasn't possible. The British Championship went Formula Two, and no, I think for sure it was the right choice, and it was great to be in a. Uh, a works team in the British Championship with a manufacturer. I mean, from from the outside looking in, it, it seemed to be quite a, a smooth development curve that that Nissan Sunny had. I mean, would you confirm that, or is it was it you know was there a lot of work in '94 to turn it into the car it became in '95? Yeah, I think the the reliability with a few issues reliability wise in '94, <laughs> um, but it was you know it was a new car. Um, and there was definitely it was a it was a year of development. Tommy Markinen was doing some stuff in the, the WRC with it, so I mean obviously that helped a lot. And I got the chance to go and do, you know, the, the, my first test with that car proper test was in Portugal. Mm-hmm. Tommy was doing Portugal, so I went out there and you know did a day and a half or two days after he'd finished. So it was getting a lot of mileage, um, <laughs> but it did it did take a little while, a little bit to get the the reliability. Because uh, you were you were all of a sudden you know you're putting you know two hundred and whatever horsepower through the front wheels, uh, <laughs> it, it did it did take a little bit to get on top of, but it was a year, a good year and a definitely good development year, which gave us a, a really solid and quick car for ninety five. And you certainly got probably the the more successful end of the Sony uh, family okay. as as the Group A Sony isn't as fondly remembered really in, in the in the WRC uh, to reliability and results. But I mean, you had the the F two Sony really is the almost the pick of the bunch in terms of success and competitiveness against its peers. Yeah, no, we did, and especially in especially in ninety five when we went to Finland and we went to San Remo and. You might be able to tell me I went to some other events, but you know we actually had the chance to get out and do some WRC stuff and and, and get good results. Uh, and you know, obviously for me, the, the most important thing was winning the the British Championship that year. Uh, and I think it was just one of these times where everything all came together, and it, it wasn't actually. I wouldn't say it's, it's always difficult, but it didn't actually feel that difficult because the team, the car. And everything just worked really, really well. So it was a it was a year where you could just concentrate on driving the car and not worry about anything else. And when it's like that, it, it tends to things click into place and it, it went really well. So it looks like the team certainly as discussed, put in the work and the development year really paid off and, and laid the foundation for that that almost you know it clicked and came together for you guys in ninety-five then and as you say, you could concentrate on the driving from there. Yeah, that's it. I mean, these guys, a lot of the guys had worked. And the WRC with the the the, the four wheel drive, the GTIR, so they, they they were coming from a a high level already, uh, and it was with development assistance from Japan. So it was a it was a proper effort at the at the, the British Championship. Fifth overall in Finland as well in that car. That must have been quite fun. I mean, there's some great videos and some great footage of that car. You know, plenty high in the air. I mean, it looked like yeah, quite yeah, some yeah. drive. No, that, that that was that was the. <laughs> The year that it was an F2 round, um, mm-hmm. and you know that was obviously halfway through the season uh, that year with the British Championship as well. So everything it was all going really well, and just getting the experience and getting out there to to, to Finland is, is awesome. We'd gone the year before, um, and I think I can't actually remember what the result was, but we were running, you know, maybe top five in Formula Two, but not as quick as the the front runners. Whereas, you know, the second year in 95, uh, we, were, we were right on the pace. It was great the whole way through. Given how good 95 was, I imagine the decision to, to sign with SBG and the Volkswagen for the following year, that must have been quite a big, quite a big call. Could you give us any more minutes yeah. about that? 
I know. I mean, basically, but at the end of '95, I I had the option to sign again with Nissan, um, but we. I wanted my I wanted to try and progress, you know, further. Uh, so obviously, we we hired the hired the, the escort off of Malcolm for Rally GB or RAC, whatever it was called back then, <laughs> uh, and and finished and finished fourth, you know, behind the three work Subarus. And at that time, there was talk of, you know, obviously Malcolm taking over from Borum and Ford wasn't sure what direction we're going. Uh, but we were in talks with them about, you know, the chance to, to drive in the WRC with them in 96. And it got to the point where I had to decide to keep trying to pursue that or, or sign up for the British Championship again. So uh, we kind of took the gamble to go down the, hopefully get in the WRC and it basically didn't pay off. Mm. So the start of the start of 96, we hired Carol uh, mm-hmm. Malcolm again for for two events, the first two events in the British Championship, and won them. And then at that point, that's when Steve Bagnall from SBG, you know, come along and said, "Look, you'd be interested in do a test, do him some events. We've got the car here. We believe it's quick." Uh, and you know, the WRC dream at that point hadn't worked, so it was well, we need to be in a car. Mm-hmm. You've got to you've got to be in a car and be there and be seen. So. Uh, to get the opportunity to go and, you know, with Volkswagen, then, you know, it was something that we, we jumped at. And how did the Golf compare to the Nissan? Go back to back. How would you rate those two cars against each other? Or what kind of, was it a completely different beast to drive? Or was it easy to adapt to? And, well, the thing that the, the Nissan was obviously full Group A, whereas mm-hmm. the, the Volkswagen was coming into the, the kit car era. So it had more horsepower. Um, but I would say you know it was a quicker car, but it, it wasn't a massive difference. It was just purely because it had a little bit more horsepower. It, the sequential box, as opposed to the Nissan, was still the H pattern box. So it was just an evolution of what the car had been. You know, or the Nissan was two years previously, uh, and obviously with the extra power and sequential box stuff, you you do go slightly quicker. So uh, it's just a kind of evolution of. Formula Two as it got as it got better, and then of course leads us very well into to ninety seven. I mean this this is the BRC season for the nineties, isn't it? I mean I, I remember being. No, I, I thought ninety five was. <laughs> <laughs> Rightly so. <laughs> um, no, but I, I, mean, I think I, what it definitely was. There's, there's again the, the the championship just got stronger and stronger through the nineties. I think ninety uh, seven. Going to the Manx, there was a there was a number of drivers could win the championship, and me being one of them. Uh, but obviously that, that that didn't happen for us. We we got close with the with the Volkswagen, I think both years, but didn't manage to pull it off. But it certainly was, you know, as far as the the speed of the cars, they were. I think if you, the people that doubted whether Formula Two would be spectacular mm. in '94. If you spoke to any of them, and as long as you didn't stand in an uphill hairpin, then you know anybody you spoke to said they were they were extremely extremely uh, quick cars to watch uh, and spectacular, and the normally aspirated engine they sound good. So uh, it was a it was a great it was a great era in the British Championship. I think that's definitely something that I took for granted at the time. You know, the, the engine noise sounding as good as it did. It's just you know it sounded great, but now with the passage of time, you appreciate how how unique a sound it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I always said that on, on the downhill stage, uh, if you got a bit of downhill stuff and it was fast and flowing, I reckon that the F2 car was as quick as anything, if not quicker, because it, it only was 900 kilos or whatever the weight was, 860, mm-hmm. 900 kilos, and you still had, at that time, 260, 270 horsepower. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, braking, the braking distances were so short just because the car was light. So, you know, when you got the car up and, and moving, uh, it was it was great. It was a great thing to drive and and quick. I guess 98 leads us. I mean, that, that seems to be quite an interesting season, the 98 one, because presumably your Volkswagen contract stipulated you're, you're allowed to do more WRC rounds as well. And was that? You know, part and parcel of why you agreed to sign on for another season. Yeah, I mean that was that was. I think I think we did eight 
maybe as many as eight WRC events that year. Um, and, you know, we won in Portugal, we won in Finland, we won in Australia. It was a great, it was an awesome year. Uh, and, the, I mean, the team SBG, Steve Bagnall from VW, they wanted to compete at that level as well. So, you know, the, the fact that we all wanted the same thing, we're all going the same direction. Uh, but we were still a, a small team compared to who we were competing against in the world events. You know, it, it still was a, uh, I wouldn't say, a, it wasn't a full, full works outfit. There mm-hmm. was some assistance and funding from, from, uh, from Volkswagen and SBG did an amazing job with the car. And, you know, Steve Bagnall was, he loved motorsport and loved rallying as much as anybody. So the, to get to go and do these events, he, he did everything he could to get us to these events. Yeah, I mean, I've heard, you know, again, in period reading interviews with Steve Bagnall, he seems to be one of these sort of rare individuals who just make the difference in terms of like factory programs by sheer force of will and passion. You know, he really, as you say, he really was like a dyed-in-the-wool rally guy. Oh, no, 100%. And he managed to, because of his relationship with Germany, VW in Germany, he always seemed to manage to pull budget from places that I don't know how he, he did it. You know, we... We started the year with, with the British Championship and we'd try and do three or four events in the WRC, but we just kept managing to get more and more. And that was just through his his hard work and his ability to to knock on the door at the right level and convince people. And obviously with Sony sponsorship, that was all mm-hmm. Steve as well. Mm-hmm. So it was a, he was a, he was a great guy to work with and his passion for rallying, uh, his passion for life. He was, was some great, great times on events and after events with Steve. <laughs> and this year then as well, you, you've made your first couple of outings in the Hyundai Coupe. How did that come about? Yeah, that was, I think, the 90, 97. My dad drove the, the Hyundai Accent, the just front-wheel drive 1600 on GB. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Whitehead was working towards trying to get, you know, Hyundai into the World Championship. So my dad did a bit of testing with that car. Um, and at that point, David wanted somebody that he could take on that could be Formula 2 and then lead into the WRC car, the four-wheel drive car. So we just basically started talking to him about the idea. And he said, Look, why don't you come and do... We want you to come and do it with the, the two tarmac events. Uh, Catalonia and Corsica, I think it was. Is that yes. right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Correct. yeah. yeah. So, uh, so you know that we got to do, we got to do them as a, as a basically an intro into Hyundai and with MSD, mm-hmm. uh, and then obviously as the year went on, they, they, they kind of got themselves finalised for what they wanted to do for the next three years, and then uh, the fact that we had done the events with them, uh, and I think in in '98 when we were. We didn't get the result we wanted in in the Rally GB, but we were lying second to Burnsy with the you know the first time out in a World mm-hmm. Rally car. Uh, that definitely caught the the Koreans' eye mm-hmm. that there was you know the potential to not. I wasn't just a Formula Two driver. You know, it was the first mm-hmm. time I jumped in a WRC car, and you know we were ahead of ahead of guys like Carlos and DDA and Kankin and these boys. So they, that kind of gave them the confidence to to you know to offer the three year program. I remember that uh, that uh, Impreza appearance vividly. By the way, I was there stage side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so was the the decision to sign with Hyundai. Presumably, it was it was known and and spoken about from the very beginning that the coupe with program was, from your point of view, was a very good stepping stone for an as yet undecided all wheel drive WRC program that they were they were going to commit to. Um, yeah, I mean that—that that was for me to, to sit when I signed <laughs> with them. It was the Formula Two was just an intro into giving them time to build the WRC mm. car. So that was always the plan, and it was you know I think we did nine or ten WRC rounds that year with the F two car. So it was basically get the experience of WRC events and the F two car while they design and build the the, the four wheel drive car, and then start testing that. We should have, we'd hoped to start testing that middle of the year, but it got, you know, later and later towards the end of the year before we started with that car. But the, the, the idea was always, it was a one year with Formula 2, then two years in the, the WRC car. 
It's interesting looking back now with, with a brand like Hyundai, who are now they're now synonymous almost with WRC because obviously they're like a dub, they're not almost a juggernaut now of their of the time. Um, but for a brand that would have been, you know, I mean, they've come on massively in the last three decades. But as a brand that would have been jumping right into motorsport to to really kick off maybe their their marketing abroad approach into Europe, like they they must have put a lot of weight behind it. It must have been a bold decision on their part at the time for a company that had no real history or or background in, in rallying or any form of motorsport to to back a double full-blown works program was a bold move on their part i know for sure i mean that the, their their original or their first intro to rallying was actually here in australia uh, with the guy wayne bell he worked with him out here uh, and that was the, the the car that i drove in Catalonia and corsica the, the the group A car, the group A F2 car. Mm-hmm. That was actually kind of built here in Australia. Uh, and then Wayne came across and did a number of events with us in the first year of the F2 car. Uh, and that was his, I guess that was his kind of, his bonus, mm-hmm. his payment for, for the intro of Hyundai Winter Rally and then coming across with that program to work with MSD in the Formula 2. So they had done very very little rallying and they were a young manufacturer and they were coming into at the time a sport which had a lot of manufacturers in there that were you know they were they were well down the line of the WRC days so their development their championship knowledge everything was was at a top level and Hyundai as a new manufacturer was coming in basically you know at the bottom to try and work its way up I can imagine that um, Coupe went through quite a dramatic amount of development in its time because, as you say, it had this, you know, Wayne Bell's work cars were, were quite different to the ones turned out in Milton Keynes, I believe. And, I mean, I also chanced upon uh, an interview with Wayne Bell from a few years ago where he had some some very unkind things to say about what the Poms had done to his car um, after <laughs> it arrived in Milton Keynes. So it seems to have been quite a point of contention. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he's, he's, a, he's, a good, he's a good guy. The events we did along with Wayne were, were good fun he's uh he always knew it was Wayne's car because the smoke was coming out the window because he was he was a heavy smoker and that didn't matter whether it was in the rally car or the road car it didn't matter there was always smoke billowing out the window so you knew it was Wayne's car coming down the road <laughs> <laughs> Deary me um and then I guess on to the accent in 2000 I mean this this must for you at the time it must have been it felt like the the crowning achievement all the planets aligning because you know a, a full-time wrc gig for, for one of the biggest years um yeah no, for, for sure the that the, the aim was always to try and get to that level or to get into wrc so uh it was just the progress of working through f2 and then you know we did we didn't have a full season the first year but it was a full season in the second year with the wrc car uh but yeah, for sure, you, you're you know you're arriving at Monte Carlo uh, in a new car, and the first time they've the Hyundai's brought a WRC car to an event, so it was it was a great it was a great feeling, a great time. And that your team, you had a you know pretty experienced team there at the time. Armin Schwartz also alongside you in the in the other Hyundai, I believe at that time, wasn't it? No, that so was, was Kenneth Ericsson. Kenneth. Oh, Kenneth Ericsson first, yes. Aye, Kenneth Ericsson. You know, so Kenneth had obviously been at Subaru same time. He'd been Mitsubishi with Tommy, then he was at Subaru with Colin, and then uh, come across to Hyundai. Uh, so I'd worked with him. Kenneth was there from the start with the Formula Two car as well. Uh, so I'd worked with him through the F two, then into WRC. But he obviously had way more experience than me in the four wheel drive car. So, mm-hmm. you know, the testing side of it, you know, you, 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 it was great. He brought a lot of experience that I couldn't bring to the team at that point for there. Uh, and yeah, it was great. It was great to work with him. Would you mind telling us a little bit about the development of the Accent WRC? Because, you know, again, I remember at the time, and it, it looks on paper to be perhaps the most promising of all those, the, the three, the Seat, the Skoda and the Hyundai, you know, in terms of very compact, quite late, uh, light rather, you know, innovatively designed and, presumably quite well-funded for the time. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, I, you never know what other teams' funding is with other teams. Uh, but, I mean, I think they were... It certainly wasn't It certainly wasn't a Puzo budget or back then a Ford budget, but it was. It was a, it was a, a reasonable budget. And uh, they did have, you know, they had that 
plan of it's going to be the third year before we're actually going to, you know, properly back the races. Uh, the car, the car had awesome potential from the start. Uh, we did the first year was there's a few, there were quite a few teething problems with the car the first year. Um, but I think in the first year we still managed to set, you know, quickest time in New Zealand. Uh, Kenneth was leading New Zealand after the first day. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the potential was there. But when you're going in at a level where you've got Subaru, you've got Ford, you've got Peugeot, you've, they're all, they've been at it for a long, long time. So you know, to try and get to that speed quickly uh, is, is not easy for anybody. Um, but, you know, the potential was there. I think for me, the, the one thing that let us down a little bit was maybe, in the, especially in the first year, we didn't have the horsepower. You know, we didn't have the engine that mm-hmm. the others had. Uh, but the rest of it worked very, very well. Was there much difference between the first accent and then the, the Evo 2 model? What was the what, what were the big leaps in terms of development from from the first one to the second evolution? It was it was basically it was refining what they had and there was a lot of work went into the engine development. For sure the engine was better. Um geometry changes, just a lot of a lot of small stuff that just got it that just improved it. Little tweaks. In small areas. But the main, for me, the main thing was was the engine got stronger, uh, and I reckon you know by the by the end of the third year with it, you know you were you were capable of fighting the top ten all the time. You know you were, and you were in obviously Rally GB. We I can't remember if it was fifth or fourth, whatever we finished, but we were fighting. Fourth, yeah. You know we were up, we were up there. Uh, mm-hmm. So it just it was basically one of these things that just got better and better as we as we progressed. I suppose you talk about the top 10 there. The thing that people forget is that most of the big teams were running quite often three cars. So there was an even yeah. more of a bun fight to actually get the, the scant number of points potentially on the board anyway. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, back, back then, there were, I think on some events, there was 20 watch cars. You know, mm-hmm. the, top, the top 20 was watch cars. Then you had the, the semi-watch because Subaru were running their, their kind of second team uh, Ford always run other cars. You know, it was, it was, there was a lot of cars there. There was at least, you know, at least on, on any event, there was at least 15 or 16, you know, watch drivers and watch cars. So, uh, you know, to get into the top 10 and get to the, the middle of the top 10 was, was quite an achievement with a new car. I think people often, you know, don't appreciate really what, what it's like to, to come into, you know, the top flight of any motorsport and, you know, just teams come and go all the time. But, they can maybe lambast results of teams, but it's I don't think they appreciate it. Like you point out, you know, your Fords or Peugeot at the time too, in the sport for decades with a long, long-standing relationship with the sport and, and a team that's built around that. For for any team to come in and, and be getting into top top fives, top sevens, top tens in the space of a year or two is a great achievement on any level. Oh no, for sure. I think that's you know, you and when you look at it, we were we were back then it was you know, you were you were half a second a kilometer off the pace, which was nothing. But that half a second decay put you on the edge of the top ten, uh, and you were looking at you know you were trying to find a tenth of you know a tenth of a second a kilometer. It's not it's not a, it's not a massive difference, but to get that last part, that's the difficult part. You know, and even even in, from a driver's point of view, to drive at ninety five percent, there's there's lots of drivers out there who can drive at 95%, but it's that last bit that just makes you slightly better than anybody else. That that's the hard bit to get. And for sure, with you know, with a new team in a championship where everybody else has got the experience, then it's never going to be easy to actually get that that final bit out of the car. I mean, speaking of experience and teams who have plenty of it, I mean that. The, the decision to sign for Mitsubishi in 2002, that must have been, again, must have felt like the, the right thing to do because, you know, I mean, the dominant force in rallying for the previous seasons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they had been. I mean, I think I always I say now that I got to the right team, the right team at the wrong time. Uh, but for sure at that point, you know, you signed a two-year contract with the team that had won driver's titles, manufacturer's titles. Uh, it was... That was probably the dream. That was, you know, you actually thought you were there now. You had made it. Mm-hmm. And that was going to be the, you know, that was for sure the, the WRC career was kicking off 100%. Mm-hmm. 
because I still don't almost associate Mitsubishi with with anything but success in in rallying or Group A or the WRC era. So I, I'm sure it must have been quite a blow to to write the team kind of that they did obviously stuck with that Group A car for far too long. I guess is probably the yeah. I mean, the I, I think that that is that is basically what it is. They they stayed with the Group A car when everybody else developed WRC cars, and by the time they decided, look, you know. We're we're behind times now. Everybody else is progressing. Uh, the first WRC car was a Group A car and a half. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't an out and out WRC car as the rest of the teams were building it. Uh, so I think that obviously Tommy Tommy was was getting results with the the car the previous year, but he was he was having accidents and he was he wasn't doing he wasn't dominating like he had previously. So. No, they, they realised they had to, to do something else and the, the WRC car wasn't as good as what you know what they'd hoped it would be. Was the car quite a challenge to drive? Because although you know Tommy moved on to pastures anew, I, I I've heard that his sort of that the cars were still built with his quite unique driving style in mind. Yeah, they were basically the the transmission in them. Everybody else was hydraulic transmission, whereas they used an electric centre diff. Uh, and to make it work, to get it to work properly, it was it was a bit of a switch. Uh, there wasn't the same progression you get with hydraulics in it, so it definitely was a different driving style, um, and probably not, uh, definitely not as good as what hydraulics had become in, in the other cars. It's a sad period in Mitsubishi's history, though, unfortunately, and, and because it did lead to the decline of you know what's previously a you know an all-conquering team. You know they took a break from rallying in two thousand and three. I think completely yeah. didn't they before they went to the do four or five care. Um, yeah. No, I mean it was it was at that time in Mitsubishi itself in Japan, the Mercedes bought into Mitsubishi, mm-hmm. and then they they came in and changed the board. Uh, and obviously the, the board of Mitsubishi was, you know, it was either Dakar or Rally. That's all they, that's that was that was Mitsubishi for them. Uh, but then you have a you know new board members that come in and they don't see the same as what the, the, the Japanese did is with Rally. And so it did. I think it was that that was part of it. And the the other part was the, the fact that they weren't winning. So it gave the it gave the board the ability to say, well, we're not actually winning this game now. So you know we'll need to we'll pull the plug and we'll come back in a year's time or whatever. So that's really disappointing, as you say, especially for a team with such history in the sport. Well, following the end of that season, what were your own personal thoughts about? You know, what where where did you think you'd go from there? Uh, that 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 was probably that was a, a bad year for me in that. I fell off a mountain bike and tore my liver and missed, you know, two events at the end of the year or three events. Uh, but I'd got back to basically in, in December, uh, back to fitness, ready to test again. You know, we're, we're heading up to Rovaniemi in Finland to test. Uh, I got the all clear to go back in the car again. And literally the, that night, got a phone call to say that um, Mitsubishi had decided to pull out a rally. And so... It wasn't. It wasn't a good night at all. But just re- really, really disappointing because you'd got to that point, and to me that was the stages where you know you got to the British Championship, you won that. You then got to do some F two in the world. You then got to sign with Hyundai. You then get to sign with Mitsubishi. Every every step was was going forward. But then when we got to Mitsubishi, we didn't actually go forward. We kind of stayed where we were, and then obviously went backwards with the team pulling out. And when a team pulls out in December. Um, you've you've no chance to go and get in another car, mm-hmm. uh, and and at that point the idea was that they would develop and test and build a new car in two thousand three to come back in 04. Um So for me that was you know that was the plan to do that. Then halfway through the year they turned around. We did New Zealand with them with the old car and finished fifth I think, and then. Basically, just after that, they decided that there was uh, there was going to be a lot of management changes. There were going to be changes in the engineering, and they were going to start with new drivers as well. So, uh, 
you had missed that chance to drive in 2003. And then halfway through that season, you found that you're not going to actually be coming back in 2004 either. So uh, it was at that point, it was going to be real difficult to get back in any car mm-hmm. because the a lot of the teams were cutting back from three cars to two cars because they were then doing 16 events instead of 12. And so it was just a bit of a, it was a snowball belt and uh, it ended up the, the end wasn't good. Mm-hmm. Brutal. <laughs> Um, yes, right, right team, right team, wrong time. <laughs> yeah, I think that that probably must be yeah, the, the the best way summing up. I mean, of all the teams, it must have been really hard to believe that 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 had gone such a way in the end. It's a uh... oh yeah, you wouldn't. You mean when you when you started with Hyundai, you knew it was just you know it was a, a new team, a new manufacturer in the sport. There was no, you know, it could go wrong. But you know, going with Mitsubishi, you didn't. You know, you didn't think the only thing that was going to go wrong with Mitsubishi was if if you didn't drive well or if you continually crashed. Or, but the mm-hmm. team itself and Mitsubishi, you would never have had any worries about at the start of the season for sure. Yeah, I remember. You know, from from the outside looking in, feeling I mean, can't have been anywhere near as gutted as you were. But as a, as a a fan, it did feel like a massive kick in the teeth, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, cer- it certainly wasn't the happiest time in my life. No. <laughs> uh, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, how was the two hundred six you drove the following year? Because I mean, that if nothing, if, if, if nothing else, that must have been like going from perhaps the one of the so-so WRC cars to at the time the gold standard. Yeah, that was in the Zoos rally when I drove that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I know that was I mean that that following year was we'd obviously decided to there was no seats in the WRC as such so uh, along with RED and a bit of help from ProDrive and sponsors we put the, the production cut deal together with with RED and then basically tried to do what we'd done you know five years previously was try and do as many events uh, as you could on top of that and that you know one of them was the Azores with the Peugeot. There were a few events that year that we did. Uh, but, you know, just to drive, driving any, at that point, you know, driving any car, getting in any car, any, any car and driving it and doing the events was uh, was obviously great considering, you know, the, the previous year you hadn't really done much at all. And presumably it was around this point that you you, you must have made the decision to, to relocate down under. Yeah, now that was too. That was late, a bit later on, two thousand seven. That we mm-hmm. moved down here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the WRC for me at that point, the WRC route was 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 going to go on. Uh, and then as you do, as life moves on, decided we'd move down here. Mm-hmm. And I was at that time, you know, look, looking at the potential to do some events here in Australia or Asian Pacific, which we obviously, you know, we ended up doing with Proton. So I still have quite fond memories of those products. There's still quite a few of them knocking around over here as well, although albeit uh, there's uh, people like putting 2.5 Millingtons into the, the protons now over here, but um, yeah, yeah. Quite, yeah. A, quite a nice car, quite a nice car, and, and you had great success with that as well. Uh, you won the championship in 2011, was that correct? Yeah, I won the Asian Pacific in 2011, and did, we did some uh, the ERC, not the ERC, what was it called? APRC the no, IRC the IRC the IRC that's it we did some IRC yeah. and some WRC a couple mm. of WRC events in it you know that was that was a good kind of three years with them and obviously that you know for a Malaysian manufacturer uh, albeit with Mellers Elliott building the car you know to win the to win in Malaysia and to win the Asian Pacific Championship in their region was was really good were there ever any, um, you know, I thought you, you said that you kind of called time on your, your full-time WRC career by the time you moved down in 2007. Were, were there any potential routes back in the years, you know, after 2002, 2007 or so that, that didn't come to fruition? No, I think not Not. Not really. Uh, as I said earlier, I think in 2003 was when manufacturers started pulling out and everybody went to two cars, so there was... There were just, you know, there was probably 2000, in 2000, 
2001, as we said, there's, you know, sometimes there were 20 watch cars on an event mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's gone to maybe 10. So, you know, to try and, to try and get back in at that point, the idea of doing the, the production cup in 2004 was basically, you know, to keep your name there, to look at potential to get back in, but uh, it wasn't, it wasn't there. Fair enough. Um, presumably, in more recent years, it's been a case of uh, shepherding Max's career. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, feel like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> but I've only got one of them to do it with, you too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the last, the last, I mean, even since we moved out here, uh, not long after that, Max started karting, so. I spent I spent a lot of weekends at the kart track, and he, you know, he was he was he was good there. He won state championships. He won the West Australian Championship. So, there's some good, real good results in karting, and then, and then got the opportunity uh, to drive a radical race car, which again he's he's gone really well and won races there. Uh, but he's always said that he wants to try rallying. Um, there's probably not the opportunity here that they've got back in. Europe, you know, or Latvia, or these places where you know, there are a lot of fourteen-year-olds rallying. So it, it wasn't until he was kind of fifteen and a half we managed to get dispensation mm-hmm. from to rally when he turned sixteen on his L plates here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's he's uh, he come in just as kind of COVID hit, which mm-hmm. wasn't great. It made it it made it quite difficult to get any kind of program together for him. Uh, but for sure, the last the last four years at least have been. You know, all about concentrating on on, on Max. He seems to have made the the switch from that front wheel drive Fiesta to the uh, the all wheel drive Impreza pretty pretty readily. Yeah, he does. He's, he is very he's he's very good at jumping in to anything. He's not. I mean, my my driving when I was his age or you know when fourteen fifteen that was it was racing around the the farmer's field in the winter mm-hmm. and something that you go out of the scrappies. Uh, he's been in go karts, then race cars, and obviously the Fiesta. But he he does have an ability to jump into different forms of cars, vehicles, race cars, rally cars, and he, and he adapts very quickly to it, which is good. And is there any plans to to try and get to uh, for Max to get to an event in Europe at some point with with a in a junior rally category? Yeah, the the idea this year is we've got we're doing the the West Australian Championship plus the Production Cup and the the Australian Championship with Subaru this year out here. Mm-hmm. But then the plan is to come back kind of your summertime uh, and look at doing. We've got the McRae stages, mm-hmm. uh, so we'll do that and we'll try and tie in some events round about that time uh, and get them and get them doing some events back in Europe. Then we'll probably spend kind of five or six six weeks back there, uh, it's June July time. We'll have to get up to see some of those in person, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Killian, is there anything else you wanted to, to add? I think I mean, I think you've you've given us a, as as good a summary of, of all those uh, as we could have asked for. Um, I suppose before we finish up, I suppose just just a, maybe a slightly different question. Um, if you were to pick any car from your career and any stage to do, what would be your your picks at a bunch? Any care, any stage. Um, any I event. reckon though the, the one the one I mean, oh, there's lots of different events. Obviously, winning the championship with, with Nissan, some of the events we did there were great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rally GB in the Subaru, I would say, was the one time I was in a car that was guaranteed one hundred percent capable of winning events, had one event. So, you know, mm-hmm. the result wasn't there, but actually driving the car was amazing. But I the one event that I think probably was most satisfying would be uh, Finland with the Volkswagen the year we won Formula Two there, mm-hmm. and that was just purely that was all at that time. That was the F two was the, the stepping stone, and you know you had Gardemeister, you had Roman Perra, Marcel, Persven. There was there was a, a lot of young guys in Formula Two then, uh, and to go and beat them in their their own their own back garden in, in Scandinavia and Finland. I reckon that's probably one of the most satisfying uh, events for sure. 
And that really predates at that point. There really wasn't any kind of non-Scandinavians winning up that part of the world. At that point, it hadn't really started happening as well. So, you know. No, so I mean, that we, 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 we fought at the front from the start. Uh, and at the end, there, was a, there were a few had crashes and it was like myself and Robin Perrin and Gardemeister. Uh, and I knew Unimpoi is obviously one of the most famous stages in Finland. And I get, we, we get told by uh, a number of the Finnish guys that uh, you know, you're, you're, you're staying ahead at the moment, but once you get to Unimpoi, that's you finished. Uh, well, we actually took time out everybody knew Unimpoi. <laughs> Mic drop. Yeah. Yeah. So that, so that, that, that was, that was, and that was, that was basically where we, that was the, that was the, what allowed us to win the rally because they knew then, you know, they weren't going to beat us. So mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that's one of the, one of the, one of the events that stuck in my mind. I know. No, that's fantastic. Can see why. Jamie, anything else? Uh, no, no, that's absolutely fine. Thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, for giving us an hour of your time, Alistair. We really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. It's been very good and uh, you've been very kind to, to come on. Thanks very much. No, no worries. Thank you. We'll see, we'll see you back in, in Scotland or Ireland or somewhere. See you later this year. No doubt. You'd love to, <laughs> to come back and maybe revisit your Donegal success at some point, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Put in yeah. the bar. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Even better. Even better. All right. Cool. Take, Perfect. Take care. Thanks, Alistair. Bye bye. Well, Jamie, what did you think of that chat with, with Alistair? Oh, fantastic. I mean, once again, it was superb of him to, to give him give us so much of his time, um, and especially given the time dif- distance. But really great to uh, to get some extra first-hand information um, about you know his period in, in 90s rallying. Um, I mean, his Alistair's career straddled some of the most important eras for, for rallying as a sport anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was great to hear some sort of some of the, the on the ground detail as it were. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And for me, I mean, look, his, his arrival into WRC kind of coincides with my almost full awareness of, of rallying and international motorsport at that, you know, that 2000 era mm-hmm. was when I was glued to, to Eurosport as a young lad. So, you know, very memorable, you know, images of that, that Hyundai and him and, and all the other great cars of that era live long in my head as well. So it was great to, great to have a good chat with him. And uh, he certainly settled your hash about the, the greatest year for British Rally Championship as well. So, and rightly um, so, rightly so. I mean, I set I, yourself I felt, up for that. I did, I did, I did. Um, I, I felt a bit bad for, uh, for inadvertently um, dwelling on the, the, the Mitsubishi era. You know, it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just purely because I remember You're twisting the knife a little there, yeah. <laughs> not intentionally, but just purely trying to convey how, how frustrated I was at the time, you know, especially because I was there at the network queue uh, when he got the fourth in the Hyundai. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I have vivid memories of turning to my dad and confidently saying that this, this is the start of, of, you know, something very big here. Yes, he's leaving Hyundai, but look what he can do. Mm-hmm. Fourth in the network queue. He's now with a, a brand new Mitsubishi. It's going to be, he's going to be the second McCray world champion, you know, and bearing in mind, I was 13 at the time. So perhaps my, my guarantee should have been taken with a pinch of salt, but. But it is, it is, you know, in terms of a team leaving the sport and, 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 and an unfortunate fall from grace. I mean, to, if, you know, their success, you know, big red victorious car. I mean, if, if Ferrari pulled out a Formula One in the morning, it, it's not, you know, it's probably maybe a little bit overdramatic to compare it to Ferrari leaving for F1. But, you know, it's a, you know, a team that were very successful for a very long time and just kind of walked away slightly came back and then never to return so it, it is yeah. still disappointing to see to see what happened it's very much symbolic of of, of that very short era in the wrc you know I, i'm going off on a non sequitur to a degree here but it's it's staggering as we all know how how the sport or the championship went from being the rosiest it's ever been in 2000, 2001, to just a few short years later, things quite rapidly beginning to to change, you know, uh, and for the worst, for, from from the perspective of an aspiring WRC driver. Mm. Certainly the switch to the two drivers as well, really mm-hmm. spurred on that, that downward spiral for a while too. But anyway, that's been Alistair McRae on 
episode three of Rally DNA now. Uh, thanks very much for listening, guys. And um, please subscribe to us, give us a rating, follow us on social media, um, and whatever your preferred platform is. We're on Podbean and Spotify currently. We should be on Apple Podcasts soon, um, but you can find us there for now. And uh, thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. Thanks for all the support. Bye. So that brings us to a close for episode three of Rally DNA. Thanks again for listening and join us next time. Thank you. Alistair McRae was in the wettest stage of the rally, still with no wipers. The radio cable was rigged up and a tug from McRae or David Senior scraped it across the screen. Not something to try on the road. McRae was all the more impressive when his time came through. Eighth quickest was the Scott, with just two more stages to go as a high and die driver.